Welcome to the Probate Realtor Show, your one source for selling and buying real estate through trust and probate. Hear directly from the best attorneys and trusted advisors on how executors and administrators navigate the probate process in and out of court. Being a personal representative or successor trustee can be a daunting task, and often beneficiaries don't have a clear plan. Let us help you make the right decision for your clients, your family, and your legacy. And now, here's your host, the probate realtor himself, Matthias Baker Mazzucci. Welcome, everybody, to another very exciting episode of our show. Today, we are talking to Sumita Bazu. Welcome, Sumita. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Sumita Bazu is with Norton Bazu LLP. She's an attorney and specializes in estate planning as well as uh, litigation related to estates. Uh, and we're very excited today because we're going to talk to her about a very important subject, which is estate planning for women. Now, the first question I want to ask you, Sumita, is what are some of the considerations that a woman has to that may not be as obvious for, uh, you know, for general estate planning when it comes to estate planning that a woman has to keep in mind. Can you tell, can you share with our audience some of those things? Yeah. So um, we have a large number of women clients, both married and unmarried with kids, mm -hmm. without kids. Um, I think one of the things that people overlook when they are doing um, estate plans for women is that many times uh, if a woman is married, especially, she will inherit twice in her life. She will likely inherit from her parents, and also her spouse will likely predecease her. Now, what ends up happening is, especially as we have some of the older uh, widows who come to us or surviving spouses, you know, the husband was in charge of a lot of financial matters and in picking the attorney to do their estate planning documents. So once the husband is no longer there, the wife is now asking herself, well, I don't like this attorney, you know, or I don't understand these documents. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. In that kind of a case, you have to have a particularly like specific approach to the way you talk to the surviving spouse because they might have duties and responsibilities under the trust that was created um, when they were married. So if the trust is older and there's a split, there's a marital bypass trust, an AB trust, uh, that's what was there in place when, you know, husband died. That is what wife is going to need to do, and she needs to be advised accordingly. And so I think sometimes that gets missed, and this is where sometimes litigation comes in because, you know, um, stepmom didn't do what she was supposed to do upon the death of dad. So these issues do arise. And so it's important to look at what needs to be done before you talk about what she can change. So you have to make sure that it's something that is allowed by the terms of the document if she already has one. That makes that makes total sense. Now, you, you said a few things in there that um, really piqued my interest. One is the marital, by, marital bypass trust. Can you tell our audience what that is? Yeah. So um, back when the estate planning, uh, the estate tax exemption was very low, what happened was in order to, you know, preserve the estate tax exemption and, you know, kind of um, the marital exemption that's allowed and make sure that you know, the surviving spouse didn't have to, you know, have a tax burden, et cetera. Back then, a lot of estate plans, especially for married people who were at or near the estate tax exemption amount, mm -hmm. would put into place a bypass trust. 
um, or an AB trust. They're interchangeable in the way you talk about them. And that basically meant that upon the death of the first spouse, the this trust, which is one bucket for husband and wife, that bucket gets split into the deceased spouse share and the surviving spouse share. And there were a lot of reasons for that, but mostly driven by the estate tax exemption amount, which back then was very low, right? Now that amount is much, much higher. It's over $12 million a person. So over $25 million per married couple. It is slated to go back down in 2026, I think, January. But at that time, it will go to roughly $7 million approximately per person. So as a married couple, if you have, you know, $14 million or less, you don't have to worry about these things. So those kinds of trusts for a lot of families are not no longer needed, right? A lot, there are a lot of families who are below $14 million in at worth, you know, gross worth of their assets. And so having that type of split in place now for most families, most married couples does not just increases the complexity of the administration of the trust and adds an undue burden on the surviving spouse. That makes sense. And other things that you said, which is very interesting. So I grew up in a family where my uh, mother was in charge of everything. So she was in charge of all the finances and she is to this day in charge of et cetera. Now in my particular family, I'm in charge of everything. I kind of took that role. So my wife is a stay-at-home mom and she works way harder than I do. We have four kids. So can you imagine that? But she does not know how to balance a checkbook. I'm sorry, honey, that I'm revealing this about you, but you know, <laughs> she, I know she's not going to mind. So you said something very interesting. You know, the husband passes away and then all of a sudden, like, I mean, I'm in charge of the mortgage payments, you know, like all those things, right? And so when it comes to estate planning for a couple that is married, um, I think one of the important things, and I think it, that's kind of like what you were hinting at, it's like, make sure if you're a woman, that you, in the unlikely event, I mean, or, you know, whatever happens, that you are prepared to take over those things, right? So Absolutely. How can that, how can that tactfully, you know, if my wife came up to me and told me, hey, you know, in case you die, maybe you should give me all the credit cards, PIN numbers, right? right. Uh, which I don't mind, but right. how, you know, how do you prepare your clients, you know, that come to you when, when, they, when, they're, when they're married and they're doing a, a consideration as a estate planning for a woman? How do you prepare them for that? You know, and what are the considerations they need to keep in mind when when doing those things? Right. So, you know, one of the things that we go out of our way to do is to educate our clients on, hey, mm -hmm. this is your estate plan, but here's what it actually does. Here's what right. this means. Um, and so we provide like a plain English summary that goes along with the estate plan that explains every single paragraph. Mm -hmm. Both husband and wife can read that. Um, it's sent to both husband and wife. And also we go out of our way to make sure that, hey, do you have a good financial advisor? Are you looking for one? Make sure you have one. That's somebody that, you know, the surviving spouse, whether it be the husband or the wife, regardless, um, can fall back on, you know, in this time of grief and need when one of the spouses passes away. Mm -hmm. Upon the death of a spouse is never a good time to come up to speed on something, to learn right. At that point, you're grieving. You know, there's all sorts of other things that you are dealing with, family mm -hmm. issues and all of those kinds of things. It's really not a good time to say, this is a good time. You know, now I have to figure out how to pay the mortgage and right. where is all, are all the assets and how does this trust work? So it's, I think it's incumbent upon both spouses to take an equal interest in at least learning, mm -hmm. right? You might not be actively managing it, 
which is fine. Everybody has their own division of labor, but you should at least understand what, where everything is and kind of how the estate plan and other legal documents work. I think a basic uh, knowledge of that is required during both spouses' lifetime. Right. Okay. That, that, is, that is very, very good advice. So something else you said is as a woman, you know, it's, it's funny to say, but you inherit twice. Chances are mm -hmm. you will, you will outlive, outlive your spouse. Th these are the trends. That's how it works. Yes. My question is the first inheritance. So from the parents, okay. In California, I believe inheritance from the parents is not, does not become communal property, right? The question that I wanted to ask you is when an event like that happens, so let's say that you have done the estate planning or, or they come to you and they say, look, we've done the estate planning and this is what the, where the assets at the time. But now I have inherited from my parents and I got my parents' house and they had investment property or whatever they have. How do we update this estate plan what are the steps we need to do to to reflect that you know I want to pass when when the time comes I want to pass this on to my children. Right. So what are the advice you give in those kind of scenarios? Yeah. So this is um, very common, um, and you are totally correct. An inheritance of any kind in California is not considered com uh, community property. It is considered separate property. Right. Now, once you've done your estate plan, and now suddenly wife is inheriting from parents, right? And mm -hmm. let's say wife wants to, the first thing is to keep that as separate property, wife has to do certain things. So right. she can't put, you know, she can't use any community funds towards those separate property assets. She has to keep a separate bank account that's only in her name, et cetera, et cetera, if she wants to keep it separate. Many spouses decide, you know, especially if it's, it's not a second marriage or it's not a blended family. They just want mm -hmm. it all combined. That is always an option that right. any spouse can do. However, a lot of times when there's a blended family, wife wants to keep that inheritance, inheritance separate and have it go directly to her biological children, right? Mm -hmm. Not his biological children, right? right? And so in that case, we would have to update the estate plan. It can be done under the same living trust. She doesn't have to do a separate trust. Um, you just have a schedule of um, separate property assets, both husband and wife sign off on an amendment, and you um, amend the trust to say, hey, wife now has XYZ property or XYZ account. This is her separate property. It is going to XYZ person or people. So okay, that's that being updated. So being proactive and definitely knowing, okay, this is an event that, you know, for the audience to know, like when something like that happens, okay, this is an event where you got to reach out to your estate planning attorney and say, okay, maybe it's, it's time to do some updating. Yes, absolutely. In that same vein, one of your clients, how often do you recommend that they revisit or update their estate plan? So we send an annual reminder um, okay. every year in the first quarter of the year, all of our clients who've been, who have completed an estate plan with us get a reminder, hey, you need to contact us if any of these things have happened, right? Birth, death, divorce, marriage, purchase right. of property, any of mm -hmm. these triggering events, we also provide an update on what's happening with changes in laws that might affect them. And so we send that out every quarter, uh, every year in the first quarter of the year as a reminder to our clients. But for people who don't have attorneys who reach out to them every year, our recommendation is, you want to look at that document every year, at least. Just flip through it. Make sure that the distribution provisions are still accurate. Your mm -hmm. list of assets is accurate. You know, you never know when something can happen. 
Um, and so you want to make sure you at least are touching it every year and just reviewing it. How often to update it all depends on the changes in your life circumstances, changes in your desire of who gets what. That's mm -hmm. when you really need to talk to your attorney and say, hey, I want to change some things. The other thing I will say is that powers of attorney and advanced healthcare directives, um, which are for like, it's, which is a medical power of attorney, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, those need to be updated every six or seven years. Banks are very hesitant to accept powers of attorney that are more than nine years old. Okay. We have had multiple clients come to us and say they would not accept this for my mom. I'm the power of attorney, but we created it in 2000. Most banks, especially the big banks, will not accept something that old just because they're so afraid of potential fraud. They want something more recent. So at the very minimum, you want to keep those documents fresh. Okay, that makes total sense. That's good. Um, now, a woman juggle, juggles a lot of different roles. I mean, caregivers, you know, or, you know, a career as well, like stay-at-home mom and things like that. Like, I know that sometimes it happens that, you know, they feel, oh, you know, my husband is the only one who works, you know, so they don't take a, an active role in the finances and things like that. So my question for you is, we already mentioned about the education portion, which is really important. But what happens when there is a transition in a career? For instance, like the kids are old enough and now the wife wants the career as well. And they're going out of the house to, you know, like start a career or something that they had placed on hold for the sake of the family. And now they're, they're not going to place it on hold. When changes like this happen and somebody wants to say, you know, like this is changing. Now I want to revisit the estate plan that we had done together. When somebody comes to you with, with that issue, kind of a thing of like redoing it. Are there specific steps that you say, okay, you know, this is how we should approach it. What are the difference? Because I understand that property, you know, when, when a family, whoever works, you know, everything is a community property in California, but sometimes the wife may feel, you know, like, oh no, this is my husband because, you know, he bought it with this money or whatever. How do you explain to a woman, you know, that the work that they've done by caring for the children and letting the husband work full time is, you know, they shouldn't feel you know, oh, you know, like, oh, no, I don't want to touch that. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? It's yeah. Kind of so, you know, one of the things to this is like a family law issue. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the state of California has recognized as a community property state mm -hmm. that anything that is earned during the marriage, regardless of who earns it, goes towards right. the community. The husband and wife are a community. Right. So sometimes the husband works and the wife doesn't or vice versa, but everything is for the benefit of the community. Even raising the children and maintaining the house is for the benefit of the community. Right. Hence, you know, all of the community property laws in the state of California. Now, other states are not like that, but California definitely is. And so therefore, if you are the spouse, you're the wife and you've been you know, it doesn't have to be the wife, could be the husband as well, who is yeah, staying if the husband, and yeah. watching the kids, whichever spouse is doing that, they are an equal participant in maintaining the community, even if they're not earning money. And that is something sometimes I think that people lose sight of. Um, there is value, um, tremendous value to what the stay-at-home parent does when there are children, especially, right? If there are children and you're raising the children, that is a that is a huge benefit to the community because the community is husband, wife, and kids all together. And so we have, I don't think I've had a situation where the wife says, no, I don't want any part of this. So right. that's not a situation that I've had. I have had in blended families where that does happen, you know, right. where mom has her own kids, dad has his own kids. That becomes much more of a 
this is mine, that's yours, this should go to my kids, not your kids, that kind of thing. So that becomes much more common in those situations. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Now, a lot of women are very passionate about giving back to the community. So when it comes to that, do you have any advice, you know, obviously, um, charitable donation, etc. How do you uh, incorporate, how do you help facilitate and incorporate that into a, a an estate plan? So there's a, a couple of different ways you can do this. Um, so for, for most clients, again, people who are under the estate tax exemption, so we're talking 14 million and less, you know, right. uh, for the new exemption yeah. amount, which is the vast majority of people that we serve. Most of the time they want to give either a specific dollar amount or a specific percentage to a charity. Mm-hmm. And that's easy enough to do. That can go into your distribution provisions in your trust. Not difficult, right? Now, when you are higher net worth and you want to give a more significant sum of money, there are charitable remainder trusts that you can do. You can set up a donor advised fund. Um, there's all sorts of options. If you are you know, a high net worth individual and this is something that's important to you, then we would, you know, advise you, hey, this is who you need to talk to, to set up these kinds of trusts. Those are very specific and they are specifically for charitable purposes. But for most families, you know, if you are, you own a property either in Southern California or the Bay Area, you have a couple of investment accounts and your net worth is less than $10 million, you know, you probably, a large portion of that might be in real estate. So Mm -hmm. you probably want to just leave that to your children and leave specific donations to your charities. So both things are possible. Um, There are a wide range of options. It just depends on where you are on the net worth scale. That makes total sense. Thank you. Now, uh, let's talk about your journey because it's always fascinating. I think our audience, you know, in order to connect with somebody, it's always so important uh, to find out, you know, how they got to where they are today. Where, when did you decide to become an attorney? Law is basically my third career. I started law school late in life. I was a financial analyst for a while and for many years. And then I was a management consultant. I lived and worked overseas. And now, you know, then I decided I wanted to do something new. And law was something that I was always interested in and didn't get a lot of support from my parents. They didn't think that was an appropriate career at that time when I was young and just out of college. So I ended up going many years later and decided that, you know, this would be something that might interest me and that I might be good at. So went to law school, took the bar exam, passed it on the first time. And then by that point, I had moved to California and uh, I met my partner volunteering at a legal aid clinic. We both had volunteered, not knowing each other. We met on the first day of training just about exactly 10 years ago and worked. They put us in the same department. We worked on cases together and developed a, a strong mutual respect for the way we both worked. And we had a good um, chemistry and our skill sets are very complementary. And so we decided to open our firm. And so after meeting three months later, we opened the doors to our firm. So it's been coming up on 10 years now that we've oh, had wow. our firm. That's wonderful. I love that story. Now, um, how did you make it to estate planning? You know, I know that uh, did you when you opened up the firm, were you always thinking, okay, we're going to focus on, on estate planning? Because I know that when you went to law school, I'm sure, you know, uh, wills and trust was only like 
uh, a brief yeah. portion of what you had to study. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was not the most exciting class, but my, it was actually my partner Zakia um, Zakia Norton who basically convinced me that estate planning is the way to go, okay. um, and it ended up being just the perfect fit for what we do because on the estate planning side, there's a lot of creativity involved in figuring mm-hmm. out how to get things to the kids, how to handle blended families, how to handle these strange properties that you have. So Zakia handles most of the estate planning work in terms of draft the legal work. And I'm very much a, I was a financial analyst. I'm very much a process person and a numbers person. I was a mathematics major in college. So I deal with probate and trust administration where we have accountings, we're dealing with assets, you know, we're reporting things out to the court or to other um, parties. And uh, that's my strength. And so that's where I focus more. And so that's how it ended up being. And it ended up working out pretty well. So you were pretty accurate in the fact that your skills really complement each other. So Yeah, they really do. They really do. Okay, before I let you go, I have a list of uh, 30 questions. I, I, I don't want you to pick a random number and I will ask you that question. It's more on the on the personal level. Okay, <clears throat> 13. 13, okay. Has reading a book ever changed your life? Yes. Okay. So, Tell me about it. Yeah, so there's a book by Herman Hess called uh, Siddhartha and it is basically is retelling of the story of the of the Buddha, but through, you know, uh, it's a very short novel, um, but it is, to me, it was really profound. Um, it talks about, you know, his journey from, he went through a period of time where he was partying, then there was a period of time where he's, you know, trying to make money, and he's being more capitalistic, and how those are all acceptable phases in life, but at the end, he's searching for peace. And that's becomes his goal at the end of his, you know, towards the end of his life. It's a very powerful book for me. Um, it kind of puts into perspective that everything we're going through is just part of the journey and that there are different phases to the journey. And this is just one phase of it. And sometimes it's good to be reminded of that when you're in the day to day of, you know, hustling and working and all of these other things, raising the kids and all those kind of things. So that book was is one of my favorites. That's wonderful. I remember reading that book years ago. I, I should reread it. But yeah, thank you very much for, for sharing that with us. I'm going to ask you another question because I'm so curious about your name. Can you tell me Sumita? I've never met anyone with that name. What is What are the origins of the name and why were you given that um, name? Yeah, so um, I think my paternal grandmother gave me that name. My dad's mom gave me that name. Um, I was born in India. I am Bengali, so I come from the state of West Bengal on the eastern side of India. And Samita basically means, you know, the friendly one. And so that's why I was given that name. I don't think my my mother particularly liked that name. She thinks it's a little bit old fashioned, but she didn't have much say because her mother-in-law was giving the names <laughs> as happened back in the day in Indian culture. So that's how I came with that name. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Before I let you go, let me ask you, what is the best way for our audience to get a hold of you? So our website has a ton of information about all the different kinds of things that we do. We've gone out of our way to provide a lot of education on our website. It also has all of our contact information, all of our offices, and there's a way you can contact us. 
um, through the website itself. There's a contact form there. Also, our phone number is listed there. So that's really the best way to get to know more about us and to contact us. That's wonderful. Now, the URL is going to be in the show notes, but can you please uh, read it out for, for our yep. audience that are just listening to the podcast? Yes, it's www.nortonbasu.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Somita. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you, everybody who has joined us, and we will see you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Probate Realtor Show. Find more episodes and interact with us at probaterealtor.la. That's probaterealtor.la. Listen, ask questions, and get results. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The Probate Realtor Matias Baker Mazzucci is a licensed real estate broker in California, DRE number 02054763. Any legal information provided is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing legal advice. Contact an attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal issue or problem. We make no guarantees as to the accuracy of any information. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.